At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we step into the new year, we're turning to the book of James for our message series, Live the Truth. In a culture preaching the power of whatever feels right to you, it's time to set aside positive vibes for a truth you can stand on. Join us as we answer James' call to reject the latest feel-good message for a mature faith. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then go down to verse 12. James says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creation. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, this morning, as we uh, receive your word, would we receive it with faith? Today, as we hear your voice, would we not harden our hearts, but would we believe what you have said and spoken, knowing that it is for our good and that you are for our good. Lord, take your word and may your spirit impress it and apply it upon our hearts, that it might produce good fruit within us, that we might be more like Christ, that we might be obedient to your will, that we might embrace your love all the more and so please you. Thank you that you have spoken. Now help us grow, we pray, and we ask in the name of Jesus together, amen. Well, it is a new year, and I am sure that many of you, uh, like me, have been starting to think about what's going to be in this new year, and you've probably been thinking about uh, the things that you want to see improve or, or grow in, in the year ahead. Maybe, maybe for many of you, you started doing what, what we do at this uh, point every year is start making some resolutions. You start thinking through uh, the different areas of your life and, and what are some of the ways that you want to see growth or improvement or change or just address uh, in the year ahead. And so you, you start to weigh these things out and, and you think about them and uh, you, know, you make that resolution. And then for most of us by mid-January, some of you who are strong get to February, um, but by most of us by mid-January, we've forgotten them all together uh, as it were. You know, it's things like going to the, so we mark out like, hey, I'm going to go to the gym this year. I'm going to get, I'm going to get fit. I'm going to lose some weight and kind of, kind of slim down and have that, finally, that beautiful beach body that I've, that I've always wanted to, or we're going to, we're going to get out of debt. Many of us uh, think through our financial, st uh, 
status and, and where we're at. We're like, I'm going to get out of debt this year. I'm going to make a plan for it. I'm going to knock that out and, and, and be on my own there financially. Or, or for some, it's just like, hey, I want to journal every day. I think my, my mental, emotional health is really important. And so uh, journaling is just an aspect where I just need to kind of uh, recenter and think and focus. And so for some, uh, journaling might be some sort of um, uh, resolution that you make, some way of uh, thinking that through. And this is all good. I don't see any problem within our lives of us looking at where we are and saying, it's not who I want to be. In the future, I want to, I want to grow. I want to be more healthy. I want to be better. I want to change. And I, and I think that's part of our, our realization of, of where we stand and our realization of what we could be, where we get to. So we aim to improve. But let me ask you this. What if 2022 wasn't just a year where you get fit, where you get the degree, or you get the promotion because you've, you've worked hard for it, or you get out of debt, or any of those other resolutions? What if this year was a year in which you matured and grew in your faith? What if it was really a year where you, you marked out, I, I need to make some progress spiritually? I need to grow in terms of who I am in Christ and my understanding and my obedience. What if, what if you took some spiritual strides forward in your maturity, in your holiness, in your life in Christ? That's what James is really trying to address to this, this church that's scattered all over the world, talking about spiritual maturity. And we're going to be talking about that spiritual maturity here in this book in the next five weeks. Uh, James introduces himself in verse 1 kind of a different uh, turn of how we would start a letter. We would say, you know, dear, dear friend, I'm doing well. How are you? James, and uh, like other Greco-Roman writers, they would start by introducing themselves. So you knew right away who the letter was coming from. That's where James starts. He says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. But I find this really, <laughs> James is really understated here in, in addressing us in this way. Yes, a servant of God. He's at God's disposal to do God's will, to bring God's message, and to, and to minister to God's people servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ the King and the Lord and the ruler. But if, if, if it's true and what it is, who it is that holds this fast is James, this James isn't just some sort of unknown servant person. Most likely, this James is the very brother of Jesus. I mean, James, this James is the one who was like closely connected with and saw Jesus's life from the front row. He, he spent day in and day out with Jesus. This James is the guy who questioned if Jesus was the Messiah, even doubted and denied that Jesus was the Messiah. And yet as Christ came and gave his life for us all and rose from the dead, this James was utterly transformed by the message and the reality of who Jesus was to believe that Jesus was the Christ and to lay down his life for his brother, Jesus. This James is the one who served the church of Jerusalem as uh, one of its most prominent pastors and leaders. And, uh, and so in many ways, this James is one who gets what spiritual maturity is all about. He's seen it. He's lived it. He's gone from no faith at all to being a pillar of the church. And he writes for us to help us think about what is spiritual maturity? What does true life really look like? And James's message for us is, is simple throughout this book. It's that our faith, what we say we believe, has to be met with action. James is a writer who says, you know, not just like ideas of theology and theory and abstract spirituality. James says your faith goes to work. That, that what you say you believe has to translate out into the way you live. So we can't just say we're good news people without living the good news. We can't just say we're people of truth without living the truth. 
And I think this is so relevant for us today in a world in which everybody says, live your own truth. You know, do your thing, you do you, whatever's best for you, live your truth. James says, well, no, time out. For the Christian, it's not just about doing and affirming whatever you want to affirm and whatever you think is best, regardless of however else that works. The, the real life of the Christian that is mature and faithful is a life of living the, capital T, truth, the truth of Christ and who he is. He's all about helping us live and grow. I want that this year in my life. I want to see spiritual maturity. I want to develop more and more the habits and the posture and the attitudes and the character of Christ. I think you want that too. Would that be astounding if we came to 2023 and we could look back and say, progress was made. I grew. I became more like Jesus this year. Not because I worked it out and did it all myself, but because God worked in me through his word to change and help me grow. And that's what James wants to help inspire us and challenge us towards. And so I was asked the question, what does this mature faith look like? Well, that's what this next five weeks is going to develop and just, uh, take us through. But James starts in a really curious spot. He says in verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. James starts right at the platform of suffering. He says, hey, if we're going to talk about spiritual maturity and faith, well, let's just acknowledge the real world. Let's just acknowledge where we're at right now. And he's writing to, he says, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. He's writing to Jewish Christians, predominantly Jewish Christians, that have been scattered all throughout the Roman Greco world. They've just been scattered throughout the empire due to persecution and suffering and Rome's empire movement, and it's been hard. And so James says, okay, if we're going to talk about maturity and spiritual growth and, and being like Christ and what, what living the truth really looks like, well, we've got to address the elephant in the room, and that is that everybody's having a bad day. It's hard. Suffering is here in front of us. What do we do with that? James's point in these verses that I read this morning is that mature faith survives seasons of suffering. When we look at the suffering that we're in, when we look at the hardship of our life, Mature faith, a faith that grows, is one that survives suffering. It endures. It sees it through. It grows. And I would ask the question, well, how does that look? What is that like? What is that mature faith in practicality really experienced as? Well, James speaks about three understandings that we need to have. He's thinking about a mindset that we need to be renewed in. First and foremost, if our minds are renewed, then our actions can be carried out. And he wants to address our mindset, our understanding, so that in that we can live the truth well. So I want to just help us see these understandings that we need to have with regard to suffering and how that looks in a mature faith. James starts by saying that surviving suffering requires a right understanding of God's goal. Surviving suffering requires a right understanding of God's goal. And the question is there, why do we suffer? Like, why are there hardships and trials? This is what James says. He says, consider it all joy or, or count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. And he's not just speaking about per religious persecution and suffering for the name of Jesus. When he says trials of all kinds, he means all kinds of trials. Like, every kind of a trial. Pick one. You got it? That's there. You should count it or consider it joy that that trial is there in your life. So trials like financial hardship, physical illness and hardship, relational trials, even persecution. The whole gamut is there. When we hit hardship, he calls us to a mindset or an attitude of considering that joy. I'll just let you in on a little secret. 
I haven't figured this out yet. Like when hardship hits my life, when suffering is there, <laughs> count it all joy? No, I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. And, and here's another little secret. I know you don't either. And here's how I know that. Because I all hear us complaining together about our hardships and sufferings, right? We're all like, oh, it's so awful. Like, this is going on, and I hate it, and it hurts, and like, this is no good, and if it just could be better, and like, we're all getting it. But yet, the scripture here calls us, a mature faith calls us to consider our hardship and our trial joy. It's to take a different posture. It's not something we do well. How do we get there? How do we consider our trials and the hardship that we're in joy in our life? Well, James says, you got to see the goal in this. And, and you got to see the goal both here in this life and in the life to come and, and what's down the road. The goal here in this life, as James describes it, is a, a maturity, a, a growing character. Uh, he uses the word perfection in verse 4. He says, you know that the testing of your faith. So here's this mentality. Okay, when we think about our hardships and the trials and the, the testing of our faith that's there, when we undergo these hardships, you know that that produces something. It produces steadfastness. When we go through hardship, it is a means by which God uses to help us grow in perseverance, in endurance. That's what the word steadfast means. Enduring, persevering, staying with it, long road of obedience kind of stuff, patience. And, and I hear that and I go, well, is that really a good thing in my life? Like, steadfastness, endurance. It kind of sounds like, do you remember the comic Calvin and Hobbes? Little boy and his stuffed tiger that wasn't real, but yet to Calvin, the tiger was alive. In that comic, there's this little joke that runs, that Bill Watterson used for years through there. The boy, Calvin, would complain about some chore or something like that he would have, and the dad would always have the line, well, it builds character. Keep at it. And Calvin would like, oh, that's, that's horrible. In one comic strip, Calvin is just, complaining about shoveling the snow, and he bellows at his dad, Dad, why can't we get a snowblower? We must be the only family in the world that still shovels the driveway by hand. I'm freezing. And dad peeks out the door and responds, it builds character, just keep at it, to which Calvin replies to himself, it's pretty convenient every time I'm building character, he's saving a couple hundred dollars. Maybe that's how you feel God is, like, hey, God says, hey, hang in there in your trial. Persevere through it. It's, it's good for you. It builds character. And you're like, I'm tired of building character. That's not helpful to me. Is God against you in that way? Is, it, is he not for you? No, James says, let that character, let that perseverance, that steadfastness have its full effect. Let it do its job, essentially was what he's saying there. Let it keep at its work so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The phrases here, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, are the sense of being whole and being mature and growing. It's the idea of being brought to completion. James says when we go through our suffering, when we go through hardship in this life, we should count it joy because we see the goal that God is working within us here and now to make us more like Christ to get us and to produce within us more maturity, more perseverance, more character, to leading to one day being with him and being perfect, being utterly mature. We can, we can grow in maturity now. Some of you think that you're mature now, but you don't hold yourself into the perseverance that's there, and so you re really reveal an immaturity in your life. 
James says the people that are growing in Christ, that are, there's maturity in them, are the ones who are persevering through hardship, and they are counting it joy. God, thank you that this hardship is in my life. I don't love it. It's not my favorite thing. I wouldn't have picked it for today. But your designs in my life are to help me mature and to grow and to be more like Christ so that I am finally like him. That's the goal here in this life, but there's a goal to come as well. In verse 12, let me skip, skip down there with you as well. James says, blessed is the man. So this is like a beatitude, like a statement that Jesus would have in Matthew 5. A blessing is pronounced on the person who remains steadfast under trial. For when they have stood the test, they will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. You know, one of the things about hardship and suffering is that we want to get out of it quickly. We want to take the shortcut. We see the, you know, suffering up ahead sign, hardship here, trial in front of us, and we're like, I'll take the detour. I'll just, I'll just go the other direction. If you want to know what the word, what's implied in the word steadfastness or, or perseverance here in the scriptures, particularly here in James 12, uh, actually the English helps us with the two words that stand on the either side, the right or the left of the word steadfast. Blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial. Uh, the Greek word there for steadfast is remain under. You stay in the crucible. You stay under the trial. You're not looking for the easy escape or the quick shortcut or the way out that is just so, so apparent in front of you. You endure. You persevere. You press on. Because when, here's the promise, the Lord will get you to the finish line whole and complete. When he has stood the test, remaining under the trial, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Being steadfast to saying, God, I know you love me and I love you, so this test here is in my life, and I'm going to stay sustained in it because it's from you to produce character in me and to bring me to Christ's likeness, and so you'll get me there at that last day. Life will be produced Friends, stay in the game. Stay in the hardship as best you can, as long as you can, because that's where God is producing his work in you. He's bringing out maturity. The way I think about it is this, is if you say to me, hey, one of the goals of my life this year is to go to the gym and to get fit, and you go to the gym for one day, and you do all the leg workouts, all the cardio, you lift all the weights, and you, you get done, and you go like, yes, I did it. I don't have to go back to the gym for the rest of the year. That's a joke, right? You will, have, you will have made no progress in physical fitness. You gotta keep going. You gotta keep staying. You gotta keep lifting. You gotta keep running. Here in those hardships, we're to count it all joy because God is working maturity in us and he will get us to the finish line. He will get us there with his grace. So remain under the trial. He will sustain you in it. Surviving suffering requires a right understanding of the goal of our suffering. But not only that, surviving suffering requires a right understanding of our sinfulness. Now, here's where a turn happens, because sometimes we, we start to turn inside. We have to see who we are as well, and to think about our own life and condition. Because one of the things we can do in suffering and trial is we can begin to, to get really nasty at God about it. Well, God, why are you you're just bringing this thing on me to destroy me? You're just bringing this down on me to punish me. God, you must really hate me. God, I don't even know if you're love. I don't even know, know if you're good. And we, begin to, we get, begin to blame God. We say that all these bad things are happening because he hates us. Sometimes our suffering is a result of the external world, the flesh, 
I'm sorry, the world, Satan, upon us. We suffer at the hands of others. Sometimes our suffering, though, is from within, the flesh. It's our own flesh. It's our own sin. And when that happens, when that's there in front of us, we shouldn't point the finger at God and say, well, God, you are out for my destruction. You just want to trip me up and see me fall. What James says here, we've got to think well about this. Again, it's a, it's a reality of being renewed in the mind. Look with me at verse 13. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. So let's not point our finger at God and say, God, you're the one who's doing this to destroy me because you hate me. It's interesting, the word trial that's reused uh, there in verse 2 and the word tempted, uh, they're very similar words, cognate words in the Greek. Um, the CSB helps us walk into the idea here. I'll just read this for us. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. No one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God, because God is not tempted by evil, and he doesn't tempt anyone himself. Uh, what, what the idea here is that, that God is not the one who is using the bait of temptation to, to get us to sin, to get us into evil. Doug Moo puts it this way. He says, for every trial brings temptation. Every trial has a temptation with it. Financial difficulty can tempt us to question God's providence in our life. The death of a loved one can tempt us to question God's love for us. The suffering of the righteous poor and even the ease of the wicked rich can tempt us to question God's justice or even his existence. Thus, testing almost always includes temptation. And temptation itself is a test. But God is not, not bringing this temptation because he wants to see us destroyed and down. This is why we shouldn't point to him. We should look and see, am I tempted? Are my desires out of order? And that's really what he gets to here. It's about our desires that are leading us astray. Each person is tempted, verse 14, when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Temptation comes and we, we see it when our desires are engaged. We see the bait of sinfulness. We go, oh, that looks really attractive. Comfort is, is promised to us from the world. And we go, ooh, I'd rather have that comfort than the comfort that God really offers. A lie is spoken. Pleasure is offered to us from the world that, that we are hearing the lie of saying that's better than the pleasure of God himself. Security is offered from the world that if we would just take the bait, we would have it when, <laughs> when God offers us much greater security. And so we see these things and we have these desires and we begin to chase and pursue after them. And that's where the sin comes in. When that desire has conceived, when desire is, is coupled with action, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. We should look inside. Many of our hardships are not God's fault, they're our fault. Because we have inordinate desires. We love the wrong things. Or we love the things that we should love in the wrong order. And so we make idols out of them. And we worship the created things rather than the creator himself. Let, let me illustrate this for you. Maybe the, you can get this uh, concept this way. I, I pledged, I made a resolution this year to lose some weight. And so I've enrolled in a, in a weight loss program, made some different decisions. I couldn't have a donut this morning. I had 15 almonds. Um, so I'm a little angry uh, at that moment. And here's the thing. When you all bring me chocolate chip cookies... That's tempting. It's tempting. And it's not that I don't want the chocolate chip cookies. I very much do want them. But something happens when they show up. Now, it's not your fault that you made something good. 
and that you wanted to share that good chocolate chip cookie with me, my inordinate desires for foods that are, they're good, but they're not always healthy for me, especially when I eat five chocolate chip cookies in one sitting, that inordinate desire is not right for me. It's not, it's, it's good. So the problem is my lack of self-control and my failure to rightly order my insatiable appetite for those chocolate chip cookies. So your good gift and your excellent baking skills and your generosity in bringing me cookies doesn't mean that I should look to you and say, it's your problem that I have a, it's your fault that I have a weight problem. It's mine, right? My desire, coupled with my action in eating all those cookies that you brought me in one setting, has given birth to larger weight. Or as James puts it, desire when it conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it's fully grown brings forth death. We're constantly giving in to our desires and temptations. We're the ones responsible. God's not. He doesn't use temptation to, to bring us to maturity. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't level us and just seek to destroy us. He himself tempts no one. So we have to think rightly in seasons of suffering about our own sinfulness. To be mature and to survive suffering means, do we see, means that we need to see our sin's problems and the death that ravages this world, and see that many of them are a result of our own sinfulness, our inordinate desires. We need a Savior. We need a Savior. We need God's work to be made whole and mature. So surviving suffering requires a right understanding of God's goals in our hardships and trials. Surviving suffering requires a right understanding of our own sinful hearts and nature. It's often our desires that chase us down and that we give, uh, we, we couple with action that leads to sin and death. But thirdly, surviving suffering requires a right understanding of God's character. If we're going to mature and grow, then how do we see God? This is where James brings us back to in the last three verses here in 16 through 18. God isn't working against us or for our destruction. He is not gloating in heaven going, ha ha, I got another one into hell. He, he longs for our good. In fact, this is what James says. He says, don't be deceived, my brothers, because the world preaches the lies. The world speaks the lies. Live your own truth. Have it your way. Do whatever you want. Make your world. Live your life as ever you want. Be your best you. The lies are there. And James says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Look at the goodness of God. God is good, generous, great, lovely, good to us. He says, see, every good and perfect gift is from above, ultimately from him, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He speaks generally here of God's creation, of making the sun, moon, stars, all the heavenly lights that shine down goodness and life upon this planet and upon every living creature here. It's all from God's hand. But God's not like the seasons, like winter and summer and spring that change and rapidly uh, increase and decrease. He's not that way. He is constant in his goodness, constant in his faithfulness. We need to see him for who he is. Don't be deceived. God's not for you one moment, and then he's like, ah, no, not today. I'm against you. God is good. Every good and perfect gift is from him. And not just generally in creation, the rain falls on the wicked and the righteous all the same. He's good to his people. Verse 18, because it's of his own will that he brought forth the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. 
James ravels back all the way to our, new, our, our being born again. And he says, I want you to think about this. Did you strong arm God into saving you? Did you finally live up to a standard that God goes, okay, finally, you convinced me. I'll forgive your sins. Absolutely not. There's not a one of us here who have done that. Not a one of us on this planet can earn God's love, his forgiveness. Not a one of us. Do you know where it started? Do you know where our new birth began? God desired that. It's of his own will. He took the first step towards us. Why? Because he's good. He stepped forward and said, you you folks are miserable. You're rebellious. You're hard-hearted. You're suffering. Don't love me. And you're dead in your sin. I'm going to make the move. I love you. Not because you're worthy, not because you're lovely and you should be on his team. But he says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. He caused us to be born again because he desired it. He's good. So the word is preached to us, the gospel news that Christ has come and lived the perfect life we couldn't live, that Christ has died on the cross for our sins. He's been raised to life again on the third day. We hear that good news, the word of truth, and we believe. And we're born again. We're made alive. He brought us forth by the word of truth so that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, you and I, redeemed in Jesus Christ, rescued by God's love, because God took the initiative and God went first and he loved us of his own will, not because somebody was uh, wringing his arm behind his back, because he loves us. It's his goodness for us. He's made us new people to reflect and display, to be that, that first fruits, the, the first of his redemptive creatures in all the universe, because he's making all things new. Here's how good God is for us. So when we, when we have these hardships and suffering and trials, we can go back to verse 2 and go, okay, I can count it all joy. His goal is my maturity. And his goal is that I'd make it to the end, so he'll get me there. And we can, we can see, okay, yeah, sometimes these things are happening in my life because I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Christ is that Savior. And yet, I can never doubt the fact that God is good, that he loves me, that he's given himself for me. I should never, ever say he's trying to destroy me. Why? Because of his love. It's his character. It's who he is. We can start in the talk about spiritual maturity from the reality, even in our suffering and hardship, because of the absolute nature of God's goodness and love for us. So what's this year going to look like for us? What's it going to look like for you? Would it be a year in which you would pursue spiritual maturity and growth to say, yes, even at the beginning of, I mean, we're glad 2020 is behind, 2021 is behind us, but I've seen the memes that say, you know, it's 2022, like part two, (laughs) and we go, is that ahead of us? Maybe, don't know, but God is good and he's there, and so I would say, let's let's pursue him and spiritual maturity. Let's make the resolutions to say, I'm going to Count it joy when I face hardship and trial of many kind because he's good. He loves me. He's going to get me home. And we remain and persevere and endure in it because of his grace. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect 
to introduce yourself to us today.